you are being watched. The government has a secret system. A podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for person of interest featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? I am fucking psyched to talk about this episode. Well, one of these episodes. I'm pretty psyched to talk about both of them. Yeah. So. I have one specific beef with foe but i i love witness it is such a good episode I mean, it's almost like a standal it's almost like a movie that it's like that just happens yeah. to be in person of interest yeah also gasp jude have beef with an episode <laughs> yeah so tonight we are covering uh episodes seven and eight of season one witness and foe uh anna i believe you have uh witness take us away yeah, yeah. Um, so this week, John is rescuing a middle-aged school teacher named Charlie Burton, who witnessed a murder in a convenience store and now is being targeted by the Russian mob. When they attempt to flee Charlie's apartment building, he is shot in the shoulder, and John's phone is destroyed, forcing them to hole up in the next-door housing projects. Various shenanigans happen while they're there, including John yanking phone cords out of the wall so he can contact finch treating charlie's wound with cocaine okay and a meeting with one of charlie's students they eventually capture a son of the head of the russian mob and escape on the ferry where it's revealed that charlie is not in fact charlie burton but is in fact carl elias he forces John to cuff himself to the railing then takes a leaf from john's book and kneecaps the mobster as a message Elias escapes, and the head of the Russian mob, who didn't pay attention to said message, is killed in his office by Elias's goon. Man, there's, that a, lo- is... there's a lot that goes on in this episode. That yeah. was a very quick summary, it's but a that's very succinct summary. I, that's really so, good. Um, I'm like, let's start. I'm gonna start like with something really early on. This is one of the this is one of the first episodes where Fusco calls John about like, "Hey, I need your help with the murder," and. I, Sorry, there's going to be no Londo voice for this series. <laughs> uh, instead, it's just me doing bad New York accents, which I don't apologize. Uh, West Coast, best coast. <laughs> Shots fired. You know, I will I will apologize to four nations, but I will never apologize to the city of New York. Yeah. That's fair. That's valid. Um, Fusco calls John. And he's like, hey, I need your help finding someone. And it's like, and John's like, I think I've got him here. And I th- this is going to be a repeated theme throughout the series. And I think it's the first time they do it here. Yeah. Yeah. F- Fusco is pretty great in this episode. He really is. I love his interactions with Harold. Like, just as a rule. Yeah. The two of them are such an odd duck pairing. And I love that Fusco has like zero sense of 
respect. He doesn't really understand who Finch is. And even yeah. when he does, he doesn't care. Like, he's just <laughs> like, oh, classes, whatever. Like, he's just, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's just great. Um, no, the, the thing that for me, uh, that I, I, that this episode, I noticed for the first time, actually watching this episode this time, John's phone gets fucked up. Yeah. That's and a good one. that is a thing that feels like it should happen. Like every other episode, John gets chucked around like a goddamn punching bag. <laughs> like I have two, I have two things about this. One why is he still rocking a goddamn iPhone when this is his lifestyle? Where's his OtterBox? Where is his like military grade phone case? Where where is his Nokia? Yeah, right. Give him a fifty one fifty or whatever it was, <laughs> and put it in a thigh holster, and he'll, he's it's invincible. He's good to go. He does not like he's. It's not like he's fucking using Tinder on the goddamn thing. You know what I mean? I don't even think he would play Snake. And if he did, Nokia's got Snake. All he needs to do, well, okay, he needs to to bluejack people. But like, fine, give him a, a give him an iPhone for bluejacking. But for the phone connection, just anyway. Sorry, it's a it's yeah. a weird beef, but it just feels like for something as crucial as his connection to Finch, depending on a, it would it's something that would get old really fast though. Like yeah. I, d- I definitely get that it would be you know we we have to suspend our disbelief that John's yeah. phone survives all of these episodes, but like man would it get old? You know yeah. what it is. John is to iPhones as Obi Wan Kenobi is to Jedi robes. <laughs> he must just go through them. Like every time he gets into a fight, he just like you know blah blah goes in and the phone is destroyed. And he must go through, like, 40 of them a week. Like, he must... I bet you any money that Finch owns stock, like a lot of stock at Apple, solely to defray the cost of how many phones that that John goes through. Anyway. It makes it a much more interesting plot point whenever John is out of contact, though. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, he has to... It, it puts him in a situation where he has to, like, be resourceful in a way that he normally isn't. Um, yeah. Because his main skill sets involve punching people and shooting people and driving into people with a garbage truck. Uh, don't forget, he also is skilled with a rocket launcher. Or, yeah. as, we're, as we discover in the next episode, the Barrett Light 50. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, you know, why not? Why wouldn't you know how to use one of those? I mean, I feel like that... I feel like that is generally encompassed under shooting people, but I'm I, I'm I'm going to disagree with you there. The Barrett Light Fifty is an anti-material rifle. Yeah, it's a whole other ca- class of weapon. <laughs> we, we will get to we'll talk about we will that. Get to, we will get to like a bear. We will get to the Barrett talk next episode because yeah. we're, we're it's, next it's particularly insane that that he pulls out this weapon. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, so let's talk about. The best part of this episode is the turn. Huh? <laughs> it's the turn. The yeah. The 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 exact point. It's I'm like yeah. it's over. It's it's when both the cops and John, yeah, and Harold all at the same time figure out. Oh fuck! We got played. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. And, and Charlie even or, or 
Elias even like teases it earlier when he's like, yeah, the guy he said something to me, he said something about Vinny. He said something about Vinny and he's like, and it's Vinny Vidi Vici. Yeah. Vinny Vidi yeah. Vici. Yeah. Just like, and it's like, it's not something I caught until like my second time watching the episode. And I was just like, oh shit. Yeah. And this is a great episode to rewatch. Oh yeah. It's perfect. It's, you know, Enrico Col- uh, Colantoni is just chef kiss in this. Like, I, that's what I was going to say is he's... He's so good. I don't care if it's a spoiler. You probably have guessed that Elias is not going to be a, a one and done character. Uh, he will be back. He will be back. And every time he shows up, he's a, he's a gift. Yeah. he's You know what he is? He's the bester of person of interest oh, in a yeah. lot of ways. Oh yeah, he really is. He, He's the character, the the sort of villainous character that's a, definitely a villain, but also kind of not a villain in a lot of ways. But also a guest star that just elevates every single thing. Every single time mm-hmm. he shows up, you know you're in for a treat because yeah. he's just that good. He's so good, and I love so much about this episode. This the way that they build his mystique in this episode, the way that his like whole demeanor changes. When mm-hmm. when the turn comes, his weird uh, Scarface like you you suddenly realize that he's got this henchman that's been like pretending God, to be a cop. I love the whole Scarface. Time. I love Scarface. Even if he gets like <laughs> no lines, just yeah. like when he shows up, he he's he's he is like a hey I know that face just because he's like his look is I he like especially with like the the the, yeah. the actor we're referring to has like a prominent facial scar near one eye. Yeah. Like it's it's a Jeffrey Donovan level like yeah a, a distinctive scar and it's just immediately oh oh yeah yeah but even in the show I think they refer to him as like Scarface yeah yeah I think it's like several appearances until he's given an actual name and do they, he's ref- do they use it though because I'm pretty sure even after they find out his name they just call him Scarface yeah but um, something that I love is that I. Every time I watch this episode, I, it's just because like, or every time that like I go back for a rewatch and it's been a while since I watch it, I always think that John is going to do the, the John McClane from Die Hard and not give Charlie the a loaded gun. Mm-hmm. Nope. But no, he does. Yeah. And, it, and this is one of the things that is so interesting about this episode is that the fact that Elias manages to dupe John so successfully. I think it's even, it's beyond a dupe. It's a bamboozle. Yeah. And, and like watching their interactions, it's once you know the twist, it's fascinating to watch Elias because you can see him like squeezing as much information as he can get out of John. Mm-hmm. Not getting much, but like, mm-hmm. Try, yeah. You know, he's he keeps like taking these like little kind of subtle tactics to try to get information out of John, but at the same time, he's extremely cagey about himself. Yeah, or, and he's and he just gives stuff of like, I don't believe in self defense. Yeah, and God, the thing where Elias went undercover as a school teacher for years to get dirt on his enemies. Three years, yeah, but. Okay, so the the thing is that to all appearances, he was a very good teacher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, 
I, that's one of the, it really sets up Elias very well in one episode to be a very complex character. And like, you know, not only the fact that he would go to that length to get dirt on his enemies, but that like, but that he like made a positive impact in these kids' lives somehow. Well, like yeah. <laughs> using them. It's wild. And you also get the sense from his interactions with John that he, this is not your standard gangster. And not just because he's been yeah. moving in the shadows the whole time. His personality, the way that he interacts with John, it's very clear that he's, there's more subtlety to him than than your standard gangster. And, you know, the fact that he's going to let John walk away from this, even though John's seen his face. And, you know, he, he talks about how it's time for a change. Yeah, it's just terrific. Man, I, I really, you can't say enough good things about the performance, the the turn, the right, like the writing and the, the writing, the the musical Which I should, cue. I should probably mention um, since I didn't. This was written by Amanda Siegel and directed by Frederick Frederick E. Otoye. Yeah, the song at the end, also after the yeah. Let's talk about that because that oh, is yeah. a hey, I know that um, the song is Sinner Man. Uh, yeah, which, by Nina Simone. Yeah, yeah. Um, which fantastic song. I I think it works really well because it's like it's got the sort of like jazzy mob feel. But and at and at this point, it would not have been overused. That I feel like currently it is overused in TV. I've seen it on a lot of TV. Yeah, um, I like fairly it, recently. I liked it in Lovecraft Country. I have seen it in like five different TV shows in the last year. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a good song it's a good song and like you know it's it's much more appropriate to many tv shows than like you know putting on fucking hallelujah because apparently every sad emotional moment in tv really needs a incredibly horny song (laughs) the most notable sad music needle drop in person of interest is it is not hallelujah it's johnny cash song um it, well hey it, 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 like specifically I'll take it. it's johnny cash's hurt uh which is the which is one of those songs that is oh yeah it's a cover of a song but it's the it's the it's the cover that supersedes the original yeah, um, yeah. so much that trent residents like yeah I, cash did it better than i did yeah which is, he said he he doesn't perform that song anymore because he can't do it better than Cash does, which is insane. Um, yeah, but I, that's like that's one of those Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix things. Uh, yeah, but um, um, the only yeah that man. But that, let's talk about the connection to 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 our previous show. Yeah, with that is that um, the spiritual that Sinterman evolved from is is from the the same. Uh, song that and the rock cried out no hiding place is taken from that's so fantastic such a weird link between the two shows that we've done <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's so good i love it and that's that's honestly one of the reasons why i've always loved center man is because it always reminds me of that scene in ba- babylon 5 mm-hmm. yeah it's such so, a solid. this show has unbelievable music i for a very long time had a playlist of all the songs, uh, like all the notable songs from this show. And it's, it fucking slaps. It's a really good playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever like does the arrangement for this show, putting, pulling the various like music together, does a great job of picking really interesting music for it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, can we can we talk about the possibly the most homoerotic line in this entire first season? <laughs> it's not scented green tea. I, I mean, okay, yeah, that that is that. Or no, we'll get to that in the next episode. Uh, like, <laughs> but no, when Elias tells John. I thought about killing you, but I realized that would seem ungrateful. Besides, how do you kill someone so talented? <laughs> it's yeah. just, yep. oh my god. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it is, and we'll get to some future Elias appearances. He's he's a, like, he's a very hyper-specific character about, like, what he is focused on, but, like, he appreciates the level of competency of John. He really is Bester. He really is. Like, I, in mm-hmm. the same way of, like, he's a hyper-focused person with very specific goals. And he's... N- I would say that Elias is amoral, but he has a very specific code of honor. He's lawful evil, to yeah. use the D&D term. Yeah. He has his own moral code, and he's comfortable with the fact that it's not the same as any, as as the sort of normal set but within the bounds of his own moral code he's extremely moral mm-hmm. yeah and one of those is that like john you go around and you you help people and you're really really good at it and you know what you're you know as long as you don't get in my way while you're doing it i respect that good on you yeah i'm super curious yeah. how you do what you do but i don't you know why would i interfere with that yeah he is um like it's so long as, like that they st- that they stay out of his business, you know he's yeah. fine. There's a fun line for just like real world stuff here when they're when they're in the project, um, and the the student the student of uh, of Charlie's uh, talks up to the gangster. Uh, the kid says the. Vori are supposed to show respect to each other. Uh, Vor, a, a Vor in Russian is a thief, but it's like it's it's the equivalent of a made man uh, for the Russian mob. Interesting. Which is it's a it's a very fun term that I like. It is. I really like the the bit that you called out in your notes on a, the costuming thing that you called out. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So this is the first episode where we see Finch and mm-hmm. Fusco together, and there's a a great costuming bit which is that if you look at the if you look at their various jackets fusco's the shoulders are way too broad like hanging off by like an inch and a half clearly clearly he has purchased this jacket off the rack um to fit his stomach rather than Mm -hmm. his shoulders and Mm -hmm. has not had it tailored because he cannot afford to have it tailored Mm-hmm. Because he's a single dad and etc. Tailoring's not that expensive. Most people just don't know that. You should really go get your clothes tailored. True. Yes. And then there's Finch sitting right next to him or standing right next to him with the impeccably tailored suit that fits perfectly. Yeah, in the that's shoulders. a custom suit. That's not just like an off the rack suit that's been tailored to fit him. That is like a custom suit right there. Yeah, and and it's a great like little visual indicator of like what different worlds they are in. Yeah. But it's a, it's a great observation. I really like that observation because in that scene you have their demeanor as well, but you do have these two allies of John's interacting for the first time. And you have all these visual cues around 
how different they are despite they're both being men in mm-hmm. suits. Yeah, and and like broadly the costuming on the show is excellent. Mm-hmm. And I think that the I'm always I mean you folks know that I'm always a you know absolute nerd for anything costuming. Yeah. As, ask me about uh, Joey Beatty on The Witcher sometime. <laughs> the other fun tidbit from this episode that I really liked is I know he's done other things, but the mob boss's son will. Uh, I can't remember his, the actor's name, but uh, he, and for Geochap? No, yeah. that's, that's the that's the mook they take hostage. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, he will always be uh, Victor from Dollhouse to me. Yeah, I know yeah, yeah. I know yeah. Dollhouse is not a good show, but he always like that's the first thing I saw him in, so that's what I remember him from. He also he also is in Agent the Agent Carter show, I believe. I never watched that, so uh, that's maybe why I don't remember him from that. But yeah, it's always funny whenever I see him in other things, I always think of Dollhouse, which is a show that I could not honestly tell you more than like the base a sketch of its plot, but I remember that he was in that. That's like him and um, what's her name? The one, the woman who played Echo. Yeah, uh, Liza Dushku. Yeah. Uh, no, was she was she Echo? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The not Echo, the one, who, the um, she was in the second season of Altered Carbon. Deacon Lockman. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The two of them. I always think of Dollhouse when I see them. Another thing I really enjoyed with this episode is that in addition to like all of the big plot advancement, it just has a lot of really fun scenes. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we have John like hacking at a wall to extract phone cords so he can oh, like wire up a telephone to get through to Finch, which yeah. is like it's it's fun to see him be resourceful in ways that don't involve like Murder. violence. Yeah. yeah, the show the show kind of encourages you to forget that John is hyper competent at yeah. more than just as we said, guns, trucks and grenade launchers. Yeah. yeah. But he is. He he was yeah. real good yeah. at his job for a long time. It's just that when you've got like Finch and his super computer hackery stuff plugged in he doesn't have to be hyper competent at much of anything except for right. the violence. I do have questions about how effective cocaine is as an antiseptic, though. Um, so I looked this up. Apparently you can use it to clean children's wounds, but like otherwise don't do it for adults. I This is what a quick Google search Squints. told me. I, I do not. Um, <laughs> I have questions. I have some follow ups. <laughs> I, I just took a quick Google look at a pair and it looks like consensus is however. Do not use cocaine to clean wounds. I, I, I just I, I'm just wondering how many children they they gave cocaine to to figure this out. Yeah, I, I truly do not want to know. I this was just what the first three searches, like the first three things I found in the Google search was of can I, mean, I, I use believe cl- it. can I use cocaine to clean a wound? But uh, medical professionals say please don't do that. Probably. I mean, I believe that you could though, <laughs> because back in the day they put cocaine in all kinds yeah. of wacky shit, and I'm sure that not sure, but like. They put cocaine in everything. So Yeah, because I was expecting I was expecting like he grabs a bottle of something and I, I was expecting it to be a bottle of like, you know, cheap vodka or something like that that he would yeah. use to disinfect the wound. Because like that makes sense. Putting you know, putting a pinch of cocaine at the like entrance site of a gunshot wound seems highly ineffective. And what yeah. and it's 
did you see where they were making that cocaine? They were cutting that cocaine with something. Yeah. There was probably like, I don't know, insecticide or like dirty baby powder or something in that cocaine. Yeah. Anyway. So other, other, I know that faces, um, Morgan Spector, who plays the actual, who plays the son of the mob boss, uh, Peter has been in a bunch of stuff. He was in the plot against America homeland. And he is currently on the Gilded Age. Sandra Santiago, who played the murdered Benny D'Agostino's wife, was a regular on Miami Vice. Nice. <laughs> Has 111 credited appearances. Wow. <laughs> Which wow. I just, it's, I'm like, huh. You know, I, I'm just like, you know, go for go you. And other appearances, the, um, the gun that John gives Elias is a CZ-52, which is a really hyper-specific, like, it's a Czech gun. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is a really specific choice for, like, this, like, setting. And it's just like, uh, how did a Czech Shabroiska get here? I have to assume that John continues to build his arsenal the exact same way that he did in the pilot. Because he which just is takes it from like, people. Yeah, like disrupt gang weapon deals and like walk out with a duffel bag. Yeah, like that makes sense. Like that's got to be how he gets the stuff. I have to imagine that Finch goes and he's like, hmm, I feel like reading some Tolstoy today. And he goes into the library and he takes down like a Tolstoy and like three Russian guns fall out from behind the book. He's like, <laughs> God damn it, John puts it back up on the shelf and he goes and he's like, fine, no Tolstoy today. Kipling. And he goes and he pulls the Kipling down and like a fucking M1 Garand just goes dun, 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 and comes like clattering out from behind the shelf. Like he's got to be hiding guns all over that fucking library. Well, we'll, we'll uh, cut to cut to a few episodes from now. We'll, we can discuss this. Yeah. So the one the one thing that I'm surprised that they didn't like incorporate into this, but I think it's something that like has kind of reasserted itself in some combination of urban lore slash urban folklore recently which is some of those projects buildings have like crawl spaces and like weird shafts and stuff like that where you can like go from unit to unit through the bathroom mirrors and stuff like that i'm i'm kind of surprised that they didn't like incorporate that somehow mm. because that would have been fun yeah, but maybe it might have been a set design thing that they couldn't really uh, they couldn't really yeah. do. Um, the one thing that I always think is going to happen in this episode, in the scene where they take uh, Victor hostage, mm -hmm. I always think that they're going to do the thing from the raid where it's like they have like that like knife stabbing through the wall, uh. and then I remember mm -hmm. that the raid hadn't been released yet. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like you know yep. sometimes a movie it's like it's like only a couple months apart it wouldn't have been popular in the u.s by then but i i, I just assume that that is probably on one of the nolan brothers favorite movies just from vibes <laughs> but it's just like it's a thing that i always expect that i'm like oh wait no they're not going to do this for once oh yeah and i guess the the most important face on here uh, which is Enrico Colantoni, which the first thing I knew him from was Just Shoot Me. <laughs> I haven't thought of that show in years. And then, of course, Veronica Mars. That's what I knew him from because me and Christine had just finished watching 
all of Veronica Mars that ha- that was out up to that point, right before we started in on Person of Interest. So we went right from like oh, man. That's a super super wholesome Veronica's dad to Carl Elias, and it was just. Oh. We were totally unprepared. That's part of what made me so totally unprepared for his turn at the end of this episode. Like, I just couldn't countenance yeah. it. Uh, my my husband would like to point out that he is Canadian, too. <laughs> That's strange. He has, like, okay, so maybe this, this is, like, there's a couple Canadians that I, like, encounter in media who have just, like, so strong, like, New York, New Jersey energy. He's from Toronto, I'm pretty sure. There, there's a there's a wrestling pair called 2.0, and they have they're like they're both from they're from Montreal, but they have like the most extreme New Jersey energy, and I don't know what it is about certain Canadians about this. <laughs> we got anything else we want to talk about in this episode? Um, I don't think so. I think it, we can move on to the really next. It's a really good one. episode. Like, like I just yeah. need to say that again. It's super good. It's it's so good. It's definitely one of the best episodes of the show just kind of generally mm-hmm. in terms of just like fun good episodes it's both fun and it like it lays so much track mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely a a classic person of interest episode is how i would put it yeah yeah like i i tend to think of shows in some part as like you know, coming up with the list of like if i were to just pick up an episode of the show and watch it for funsies, which ones would I, which ones would I reach for? Yeah. You know, like you've got trials and tribulations and <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But I think that, you know, this is definitely in that category because it both stands alone extremely well mm-hmm. and it has a link up to the broader plot. Yeah. yeah. This is really where like that, the, the mob plot, which will, it's going to last a while. Like, like I, we're going to see repercussions from this episode throughout pretty much the entire runtime of the series. Yeah. Dang. I, I love how just like in, in the middle of this sci-fi techno thriller that they're just, it will continue this, the, the mob of New York will continue to be a thing. Yeah. Well, Elias really is the bester of person of interest. Mm-hmm. And he will he will continue to to like Bester, crop up, uh, in the best way. <laughs> Shall we move on? All right. Sure. All right. So our next episode is episode eight, Foe, written by Sean Hennon and directed by Michael Chaloff. Our number this week is Wallace Nagel, who is actually Ulrich Kohl, a former operative of the Stasi, the late East German Secret Service. He is out to get revenge on his team of traitor hunters for turning to the U.S. He believes that the team is responsible for his wife Anya's death. As it turns out, Anya's death was fake, and the team brought her with them when they defected. John has to tangle with German intelligence, but is able to keep Anya out of Cole's grasp. As it turns out, Anya had a doctor who Cole takes hostage. Anya and John meet Cole in Central Park, and John takes out Cole before he shoots someone. It is revealed as Cole dies that he didn't even have any bullets left. Our flashback is to John's past in the CIA's NCS, uh, National Clandestine Service, or the Department of Operations, where he meets his new handler, Kara Stanton. She briefs him on his new life, and they assassinate two turncoats, who she received info on from, it turns out, the machine. (laughs) That's our Uh... our episode of... 
It's it's so true that that is so that succinct summary is very accurate. I from mean, what there, there's like a lot of yeah. there's a lot of drama involving cool call and what happened. Yeah, that's the gist of it. Yeah, it is. Like the 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 whole thing is that basically his entire team turned on him. He spent 24 years in prison, and then without a yeah. trial, without a trial, it is noted. Yeah, yeah. Though, okay, just for like clarification on the Stasi, um, because. Anna, I see you have a question in the notes here about this. Um, yes. So the Stasi, so the Stasi make K- the KGB look like amateurs. By the most conservative estimates, it is estimated that every one in forty adults in East Germany was an informant to the Stasi. There is, if you want an excellent movie about this, there is a movie called "The Lives of Others," uh, a German film. Hmm. I think it's from two thousand six. That is phenomenal that is all about a Stasi agent and talks about the surveillance methods and stuff. Uh, it won a whole fuck ton of awards. It's one of my wife's favorite movies. It's phenomenal. And I, I highly recommend it, but it's about the way that the Stasi were just watching everybody. Yeah. They like the, the, the amount of data that they were collecting on East German citizens is so far beyond it, it is the predecessor to everything in the modern surveillance state. Yeah. It like they, they would have, they were basically recording everyone and were terrorizing their citizenry constantly. Cause, cause I was going to ask you, like there's a mention to them having sweat and body over odor samples. I don't know if that is accurate, but it's at least like that they had pretty much like, they had everybody's fingerprints discreetly, like, uh, collected. And, like, I would not be surprised if they tried to do that. Like, I know they have, like, at least, like, hair samples on a lot of people. It's entirely wow. plausible. That's how, like, yeah. it's not, like, spy movie plausible. It's, like, reality plausible for the Stasi. I, I like, it, the, the Stasi are not a particular, like, thing I, I'd, like, I have read too much on. But, like... The level of stuff they did, it's mostly a just like, I can't find enough good, good enough source to verify it. Yeah. 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 It's what they did was incredibly fucked up. Um, and the fact that Cole gets tossed into prison for 24 years, the only thing is that he didn't get a trial because that's. Yeah. And let's talk about Cole because I think he is. Yeah. Uh, He's the. Uh, you mean Caleb Nickel? <laughs> I did not watch the OC, so this is a. This is a I also episode. have not watched it. Okay, so to get this out of the way, my wife hates this episode with the fury of ten thousand suns, uh, because Caleb Nickel, uh, I forget the actor's name, I don't care. Uh, he played Caleb Nickel on the OC, which my wife and I watched quite a bit early in our relationship, before we watched Person of Interest. So when he saunters onto the screen, and takes this giant turd of a German accent all over this episode. And in case you're a new listener to this show, uh, my wife is a Germanic linguistics uh, doctoral candidate. By the time this episode airs, she probably will have her PhD in Germanic linguistics. Hot damn, congrats. Right? Uh, So a German accent, a bad German accent, like it's one of those things that like the way that I get bent out of shape about how George R.R. Martin can't not make a bad hot take about Tolkien given the opportunity. 
same thing. Like it's one of those things that ultimately is not that big of a deal, but it still gets stuck in your craw and you can't fucking shut up about it. Same thing. She can't watch this episode without getting offended by how bad the accent is. And then when you have the fact that it's like the petty villain from the OC doing it, this episode is so hard to take seriously. So something that I find funny is despite the bad accent, like apparently like a lot of the paperwork for like the all like the East German paperwork that you see in this episode is like really accurate. Oh, I 100% believe it. Apart from some spelling mistakes. That's what's so funny about this episode to me is that they went, I I 100% believe that they would do that much work. I just don't know why they didn't get someone that's actually German to do the, there are plenty of people in Hollywood that can do a German accent. Why would you pick someone who (laughs) not just can't do one, but is like incapable of doing the same bad German accent throughout the episode? (laughs) It's all over the place. Yeah. It, it's spectacular how bad it is. I kind of love it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, lo- I love I love, a bad accent, but that's like a personal enjoyment thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, I think that this episode is really interesting, partly because we get more on John's backstory that's not just like him yeah, we get pining to- over Jessica or whatever the hell her name is. We get yeah. to beat... Girl boss number three, four of Kara Stanton. Uh, three, I think so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, truly, I, I she is the Icarus of girl bosses, though. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. But not only do we get that, we get to see Cole as, like, a very interesting, like, dark mirror for John. Yes. Like, that... It very much feels like John is looking at Cole and being like, okay, so this is who I would be if, like, mm-hmm. if I had stayed in yeah. the company. Yeah. Right? If Yeah, this is, this is like, John is able to see somebody from the previous, from the previous war. Yeah. Who, who did not let go, who spent 24 years in a hole being forgotten. And was a is a bitter, vindictive, murderous asshole who wants to kill his wife. He's so pissed. Yeah. And there's so many parallels. I'm like rewatching this. I've I've watched the end of the season one at this point. And rewatching this, it even has parallels down to the like faked car accident for the romantic interest, which is for different reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's still a a it's such a specific thing mm-hmm. that it's it's really it's interesting to see John's reactions to yeah. Cole. Certainly. Mm-hmm. I think it is interesting that there is like in his interactions with Cole, like John sort of switches his his usual tactics of people, and he's always got this weird levity with Cole in a lot of scenes that they have yeah. together. And there's like all these bits where they're like kind of trying to like out macho each other a little bit. Like Cole is setting setting out to torture John and John's like, oh yeah, I was like strapped to a battery for 18 hours and they didn't even get my name. And Cole's yeah. like, I don't care for your name. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's great banter. It's yeah, it's a weird kind of like machismo dick measuring that they're yeah. doing yeah it's very funny yeah. like and, and like in the same way there is in the final scene they go to visit 
Cole's grave where he's he's in an unmarked grave. And like the the the, the entire feeling between Harold and John is that they both expect that this is going to be where they end up. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think they even say as much. Yeah, and there and there's this like there's this wonderful sense of like just sort of bonding through the futility of it all. Um, and I, 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 it's a very nice scene. I think to close out the episode of it. Yeah, yeah. But we've also got some. We've got some great Harold John stuff. Oh yeah. Here. It only uh, took Sencha Green Tea. Yeah, it only took uh, John eight episodes to get uh, Harold's straight quarter. Which is good for him. <laughs> and I am just personally eagerly awaiting when John correctly guesses what Harold's uh, favorite color is. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just, fun in this episode. more fuel for the ship fire. That was so good. Um, uh, is, do you want to talk about your guns now, Justin? Okay. So there, uh, there's, this is a fun episode because there's a lot of like very specific history stuff in here. Let's let's go with the first one because there's a huge con- there's a huge weird error with it. Um, so <laughs> the the gun that Cole uses throughout the episode is identified as a well rod, which is actually originally a British gun. We would it, it's basically it's a very very basic constructed gun that was designed to be parachuted down to the French resistance in World War II. The idea of it is that it's a silenced gun and it's a bolt action. Basically, you have to manually cock it to put a new round into the chamber. So there's no moving mm-hmm. parts of the gun apart from the trigger and the cocking mechanism. So when it fires, there is very little sound created. And because there's no moving parts, none of the gases escape uh, except through the barrel to like create the normal loud bang you hear with a gunshot. So that way, it, it is one of the quietest guns that it is used. It's sort of naturally silenced. Yeah, it's it's one of these weird things where like revolvers gen- because they like don't have as many moving parts, don't have as much, don't generate as much heat, and there's a specific revolver that is like has a seal even that you can use to make a perfectly silenced revolver. But the funny thing about this though is that there is a, is that when Fusco comes in to save John, Cole fires multiple shots without cocking the gun. <laughs> And it's just, it's a thing of like, I know this, but only because I'm a stupid, <laughs> ridiculous nerd. And I know this continuity error. Um, or it's not even continuity error. It's a thing of like, somebody decided, like, th- there's nobody's keeping track of this on set. And like, they just right. put it in, they put it in a post. Um, because that, that gun is like, they're probably digitally doing it afterwards. Which it's very funny just for like how specific that is as they got all this history right and then got that one thing wrong well i mean if it if it means that they're doing the muzzle flashes and stuff like that in post um you know i'm i'll i'll be i'll happily trade that for errors just in terms of making the sets safer yeah definitely yeah let's also talk about the big boy (laughs) (laughs) i remember when he first pulls this thing out I immediately clocked it because I played Call of Duty. (laughs) Yeah, well, he pulls this thing out, and I'm just like, what the high fuck are you doing with this? Okay, the Barrett Light 50 is a gun that is designed to shoot tanks. I mean, he's using it for its intended purpose when it's used to shoot shoot, uh, an engine block out of a car. An engine block. Yeah, he's using it correctly. 
but for reference, like the the like uh, fifty BMG, the round it fires is basically like two fingers thick. It's a ridiculous Jesus. thing. <laughs> well, and wow. it's designed. Yeah, it's designed to penetrate through armor and then spray like shrapnel into through whatever it's through. So there's versions of this round that are designed to like penetrate through the side of a like an APC or something and then spray shrapnel inside and basically blenderize everybody inside. There's versions of it that are designed to that are basically like just a solid rod of metal that's designed to do what it does in this one, which is just to destroy an engine or something like that. Apocryphally, the Barrett Light 50 uh, has been used in anti-personnel action, uh, but was considered so demoralizing to the people that used it that it is no longer allowed to be used in anti-personnel actions because it basically turns a person into a bag of juice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeesh. It's, it's truly, it's, uh, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of gun. <laughs> Well, and the point of the point I'm tr- I'm trying to, I'm trying to make with it. I don't know what Justin's trying to say, but the point I'm trying to make with it—it's an anti-tank rifle. <laughs> it's an anti-tank rifle, and it's a it's a piece of fucking hardware that is so wildly inappropriate to just casually whip out of your fucking trunk <laughs> and set up in front of a bunch of fucking skater teens and just yes. be like, "Hello, fellow kids, don't mind me while I fire <laughs> off a." God damn, a gun that you only would normally see in a goddamn war zone. Just gonna snipe a fucking car. This, the range on the Barrett Light 50 is goddamn bizarre. It's so long. Yeah. And- I love the fact. That, okay. Can we talk about, can we talk about the, the, the Herald spotting thing? Yeah. Yes. I would also like to talk about the skater tweens. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. The, the skater teens who, who think like, who see this and do absolutely nothing. Yes. Would you fuck because with someone who just casually do? breaks out a Barrett Light 50? No, I wouldn't. I. Yeah, I don't also, want to get turned no, into a bag of juice. No, what I would, also, what I would, what they would probably be doing is covering their goddamn ears. Yeah. yeah. I, nobody gets tonight as in television, but I mean, I've like I've sat like I've sat like 15 feet away from like some high power rifles and like that's enough to like ooh ooh yeah <laughs> I, and I do appreciate that Harold covers his ears yes bless you know him this, he's the, the only f- person who has range safety training the fluting on the front of that gun is for like the jet blowback <laughs> from this thing this fucking thing it is so I I I just. It's a cannon. It's not really a gun. It's a fucking cannon is what it really is. And it's just so absurd. <laughs> fucking just this, just like, do, 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 do. He goes to the back of the thing. And you're like, oh, he's going to get a sniper rifle. He's going to shoot, shoot the driver. Like, of course, that would be sensible. Nah. Like, it reminds me, it reminds me of like a fucking rail gun, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the closest thing we have to it in the modern day. Yeah, or at least that is in a that is in a man portable form. So my fa- one of my favorite li- one of my favorite moments from this episode is John handing Harold the the the, the scope like the, the 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 range scope, yeah. and saying range it. And Harold says uh five hundred, and John just says six hundred. <laughs> yeah, he's and he's just like nope, you had one shot. <laughs> I have so many questions about this. Like, where did Finch learned to use that range scope. Finch is extraordinarily 
talented human being who knows a lot of things. But being able to use a military rangefinder, sniper's rangefinder, feels like something that would not he he would not have necessarily come across in his years of building an insurance company, hacking and writing an AI. My my personal thought on this <laughs> is that John made them do it as a bonding exercise. Team <laughs> <Machine> building. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. I'll accept that. Yeah, I mean, that like, that's sense. really the only thing I can think of as, like, as a reasonable way. That or, that or maybe it's done while he was bird watching. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I don't hate that explanation, actually. Yeah. But, like, that came to me as, like, oh, huh. And I could definitely see Harold using a military rangefinder for bird watching. Like he's kind of that extra. Yeah. Or he goes into his he he's looking for his binoculars to go bird watching and John has absconded with them to go look at uh their most recent number and so he has to use the rangefinder instead. <laughs> this is a scene in my yeah. uh, my John Harold slice of life fan Hell fiction. Yeah. Um <laughs> Which we, which you know, we we all want we all want that. Please, please if give. Can, if you can never guess my AO3 username, apparently you can read it. Also, I love how we get like these like the okay. One of my favorite just like random things in this episode is the like random old bookstore where they where they meet the guy who's got like Cold War era East German files. Oh yeah. yeah, and and there's actually a side thing that I really like about that because I think this is one of the first episodes that really emphasizes that Harold is only as good as his information. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, not not discounting like that he has skills and et cetera, et cetera, but like a lot of what he does is information gathering. And the information's not always perfect. Yeah. Like in this case. You know, he they're they're operating based off of the best information which he could find, which was faulty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's or or it's basically like the machine only has certain ways it can talk to it, talk to the, and like the the East Germany basically East Germany folded before there were like massive computerized records. Um, yeah, and so it's like. It's like, I can't give, like, the, the machine is like, I can't give you this. I can only give you the fake identity. Yeah. Actually, I want to flip back to Witness for just a second and talk about the machine. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking to myself, do you think that they succeeded in the machine's mission in saving Charlie Burton? Or did they fail because they didn't apprehend Elias? What do you think the machine was telling them? I think... Personally, the machine... I choose to believe both. I think... So, I I think that at this stage of the machine's development, it has very narrow parameters when it comes to the numbers. <laughs> and that is, it identifies a situation in which a an individual is at risk. And it has... It somehow calculates that Charlie Burton's cover is going to be blown. And Elias will be at risk of being killed. And hmm. so it, it sends Charlie Burton's number to Finch. And in that case, it doesn't, the fact that he's a murderer doesn't factor into it. It's just that this is someone that it has determined 
there is a premeditated plot against or premeditated risk against. Yeah. But it's it's interesting because I I think it's definitely one where you could interpret it either way. Yeah. No, for or sure. Or both ways. I think it becomes my personal opinion is that this is a question that's more interesting later on once you know more about how the machine operates. Mm-hmm. A couple of seasons in, when you've learned more about like the machine's thought process, I think that question becomes a lot more interesting to talk about and to sort of reflect back on these earlier sort of moral quandary situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to talking about that. Yeah. I wasn't tracking the kneecappings in this one, but it, it does have one of the things that... I personally track, which is every time somebody makes the absolute mistake of coming into hand-to-hand range with go- with uh, with a gun versus John. Yep. And it's just like, buddy, buddy, that's not how a gun works. Yeah. If you've gotten into hand-to-hand range with a gun, you lose literally every advantage of the gun. And it's like, this guy should know better. Yeah. As with most of the people who get into hand-to-hand range with a gun versus John. Uh, I did count the kneecappings. There are two kneecappings in in Witness, uh, one by John, one by Elias, and there are zero kneecappings in this episode. Oh, one thing I did want to point out is that um, we sort of skipped over it with the backstory, the the, the flashbacks, uh, but we get to see how relevant numbers are handled, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is Kara standing fucking shoots them. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a uh, which I, I that's it's a very I, I I like that scene. It's like it's a very fun like uh, scene. Also, like wherever they are shooting that scene in is like a goddamn castle or something. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a wonderful yeah. like seat, but it's just yeah. Yeah, I think it's fun to see baby John like terrified of Kara and yeah. how she operates compared to like present day john who is just as blase about the whole process as she is mm-hmm. all right we got anything else we want to talk about for these i think we're good i don't think so all right so um next time we're going to be covering episodes nine and ten of season one get carter and number crunch until next time you are being watched Da-da-da-da-da. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.